0: Well, friends, we are um, continuing a series of messages um, connecting a couple of different things, right? The armor of God, the armor of God that we hear about in Ephesians chapter 6 with uh, different characters in the uh, Bible story of uh, the nativity. Today we're up to uh, the shepherds, you see that on the uh, banner, and uh, the breastplate of righteousness, kind of. Seeing how the breastplate of righteousness attaches to the shepherds, and just so you know the 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 armor of God is is often found in the Old Testament as well, and so we 're going to make that connection as well today. so in some ways, this message is a um, a good old fashioned bible study or a compare and contrast maybe with um, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I invite you to have your Bibles open to those texts that you see there. Um, The the one is uh, from the Old Testament, Isaiah 59, and that's page 1061. And the New Testament reading is from Luke 2, and we're going to be hearing these within the message, so keep your fingers in each of those, it's page 1061 and 1459, page 1459 for the Luke 2 story of the shepherds, familiar story there. So again, remember, we're we're connecting uh, three things, maybe, then the breastplate of righteousness with the story of the shepherds and the shepherds, and then also where the uh, origin, maybe, of that uh, breastplate of righteousness comes from in Isaiah 59. And then a reminder also, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, our Lessons and Carols service, Nine Lessons and Carols, is this evening at 5.30, so come again this evening. But again, keep your fingers in those passages and don't thud your Bible into the pew once we've done the second one, okay? Keep it on your lap and uh, you'll want to flip back and forth if you would. Beloved in Christ, God's word in Ephesians 6 tells us, therefore put on the full armor of God, remember, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. What is a breastplate? It's a soldier term, right? In ancient warfare, warriors strapped on a breastplate in order to protect vital organs in hand-to-hand battle combat. Back when soldiers used swords, if you were in battle, you would want to protect where the most vital of all those vital organs were, the lungs and the heart. The breastplate was a defensive weapon used for protection, to stay alive. Back then, breastplates were made of leather, bronze, or even iron. Today, the modern-day descendants of the breastplate are body armor, ballistic plates, bulletproof vests, Kevlar, The breastplate protects and keeps you alive. A breastplate of righteousness. What is that? Well, righteousness comes in two types. There is imputed righteousness. That's the kind we get from Jesus and his death on the cross. We are declared righteous by God. Because we are given or imputed Christ's righteousness. So that come judgment day, our eternal judge looks at us and sees our righteousness imputed to us by Christ. Our judge sees it and says, Not guilty, innocent, enter into the joy of heaven. Imputed righteousness is a total gift from God. Even the faith to believe it, that He has done it for us, imputed it to us, is a gift. Second type of righteousness are the righteous deeds and words and thoughts that we do, say and think, because the Holy Spirit lives in believers in Jesus and produces in us desire and ability to act righteously, to do what is right and good and kind and loving. So it's also the specific acts of righteousness that we do only because of the imputed righteousness we've been given. Let's be clear on that. These acts of righteousness could be called our personal or practical holiness, right? Expressed in righteous thoughts, words, and deeds. I believe this two-layered breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians 6 is what Paul had in mind there. Surely Christ's imputed righteousness is our breastplate defending us against an eternal punishment for our sin, but so are our own righteous acts, our own holy living spurred on by the Holy Spirit in us. That too is our breastplate of righteousness, defending us against the devil and his schemes. When we're disobedient to God, doing unrighteous things. The devil, Satan, can latch on to those things, can grab hold of them and drag us into doing more of the same. But when we're engaged in practical holiness, expressed in righteous acts, words, and deeds, Satan can't grab hold and drag us down into doing the unrighteous things. It was Jesus who said, after all, John fourteen thirty, the prince of this world, the devil, Satan, is coming. He has no hold on me because Jesus wore the breastplate of righteousness perfectly, obviously. He was righteousness embodied. Satan could never grab hold of him. So our breastplate of righteousness all at the same time is Christ's imputed righteousness and our own righteous acts spurred on by the Holy Spirit and caused by Christ's imputed righteousness. This double thick Layered breastplate of righteousness defensively keeps the devil, Satan, from grabbing hold of us. So let's move on to the story now with that out of the way. Let's see how the breastplate of righteousness is mentioned already in Isaiah. Let's see how the breastplate of righteousness can be attached to the shepherds some of the main characters in the nativity story. Let's see how this piece of Advent armor connects to the shepherds. We'll start with their story, Luke 2. And when we read it, I want you to keep these five words, these five ideas in mind. Shaking, as in scared, searching, seeing, sharing, and singing. All right, Luke 2, 8 through 14. The story about the shepherds happened shortly after Jesus, our Savior and King, is born. Hear the word of the Lord. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were shaking, scared. But the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And you can imagine already, right then and there, the shepherds were thinking, we have to go searching for this child, searching. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see, seeing this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found, because they had been searching for him, they found Joseph and Mary and the baby who was lying in the manger. They found him and were seeing him in the flesh. When they had seen him, they spread the word. They started sharing what they saw and heard and now knew. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. I'm sure part of their glorifying and praising involves singing Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In that passage, you've got all five of those ideas, right? I pointed them out. Shaking, scared. Searching, seeing, sharing, and singing. Now, you got to know this about the shepherds before we continue. Hard job, 24 hours a day, but shepherds were considered dirty, dusty, dingy, the dregs of society. Bottom rung on the socioeconomic ladder. Right down there with lepers, tax collectors, and sinners. No one would ever look at them and think, oh, righteous, upstanding citizen, the shepherds. Now, we go to Isaiah 59, okay? Keep your finger in Luke 2 also where we're going to do the same thing. We're going to read some verses and think about how these five ideas might fit into that passage. And this is the passage, by the way, here in Isaiah that the Apostle Paul likely knew and was thinking about when he wrote that little armor of God section in Ephesians 6. So Isaiah 59 verse 9. And just for context, Isaiah has been describing how Israel, God's people, have turned away from him They are rushing headlong into sin and darkness, verses 1 through 8, with incredible descriptions by Isaiah, of course, saying what God's people are up to. And in verse 9 and following, we hear the result of them living that way. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 9. So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice but find none for deliverance, but far away. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice and that friends is a description of a people who are shaking shaking scared of what God's going to do to them and they're also helplessly searching but it's hopeless because they're like the blind groping along the wall we continue verse 16 he the Lord saw Ah. There is some seeing in this passage. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation as his, on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they had done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. Singing, there it is, singing. Singing revering his glory, for he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, the lips of your children, and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. There's the sharing sharing what God has done ever on the lips of those whom the Redeemer has saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, let's put it all together. All right? Both portions of Scripture, Luke 2 and Isaiah 59, along with that little piece in Ephesians about what we have called the Advent armor. Today, the breastplate of righteousness. We'll put it all together. First, shaking. Shaking. You bet there was shaking. Shaking. Luke 2, shepherds, lowly, pitiful, dregs of society, unrighteous shepherds. They're out there, and it's dark, but the sky lights up with countless angels. Not stars, angels. And they're terrified, sore afraid. They feared a great fear, as the Hebrew language literally, Greek language literally puts it. They are shaking in their boots, as we would say it. Shaking, scared. Then you bounce over to the first nine verses of Isaiah 59, you may as well be talking about the shepherds. For you see no one in Israel is wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Did you hear it? Just as far from righteousness not reaching us. Darkness all around us in deep shadows. We're like the dead. We're dead in our unrighteousness. Our offenses are many in his sight. Our sins testify against us. We turn our back on God. We utter lies, and through it all, righteousness stands at a distance. If you're not scared hearing that, you ought to be. You ought to be shaking scared like the shepherds. Righteousness far, far from you. And maybe you start to finally realize Isaiah wasn't just talking about those shepherds, was he? Isaiah was talking about all Israel. And Isaiah, well, he might even be talking about us. Surely those verses are meant to get us shaking, scared. Not a shred of righteousness to be found. So back to Luke 2 for a second. The shepherds go off searching, don't they? Searching in the dark for some light, the baby Jesus. Will they find light of the world? Will they? Back to Isaiah 59, the people here are searching too, all right? Looking for light, but all is darkness. Looking for brightness, but, but all are walking in deep shadows. The description by Isaiah, they're like the blind groping along the wall, feeling their way like people with no eyes. Oh, they're searching for any sign of hope, searching for a righteousness they do not have and they cannot find. Luke 2 now. Shepherds, remember who they are, the dregs of society. They arrive at the manger. They're seeing a righteousness that is out of this world, that is otherworldly. They see it right there in the manger, attached to that little baby like a breastplate. Righteousness they don't have but they are seeing it before their very eyes. In fact, it was the good news announced to them before they ever saw this salvation baby. It was righteousness that saw them while they were watching their flocks at night. It was the righteousness of this holy, righteous child that saw them and beckoned them to come and see the place where he lay. For salvation had already seen them and come to them before they even saw it. You want confirmation of that? Back to Isaiah 59, verse 16. Graciously, Isaiah tells us about the Lord. He, the Lord, that is, saw. Isaiah 59 reminds us that much more important than the shepherds seeing, than all Israel seeing, than even us seeing, Isaiah 59 tells us that the Lord God is seeing. In fact, before the shepherds can see, before Israel can see, before anyone can see, the Lord God must see Them, And Isaiah tells us, the Lord looked, the Lord looked, saw that there was no one, no one righteous, no one to help these unrighteous folks. There was no one, no one, no lowly, unworthy shepherd, but no church-going, outstanding citizen of Wyoming, Michigan, who works hard takes care of his or her family, is kind, helps people across the street, gives of his time or her time at the local food pantry. Now, obviously, lowly shepherds wouldn't do that, would they? But the Lord looked even at those outstanding upper middle class, upstanding citizens who certainly have the the dirty, dusty, dingy dregs of society, the shepherds beat, or as we might say today, the homeless, the beggar at the corner, look at them, why can't they get their lives together like me? The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no one, not the shepherds, not the homeless, of course, but also not you or me, there was no one. There is no one righteous. The Lord was seeing all of that. It's confirmed. Isaiah tells us before we can see the Lord, he must see us. And he does. He does. He did. He sees us. He is appalled. There's no one to intervene. He sees it all. And then graciously Isaiah tells us his own arm achieved salvation for him. For him, not for us, as if we somehow deserved it. And, well, God saw something special in us that caused him to redeem us. No, his own arm achieved salvation for him, for his glory and his alone. His own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate, verse 17. And you know the story of what he did. Isaiah tells us, verse 18, he repaid wrath to his enemies, retribution to his foes. How? Well, that we find out later. He went to the cross, and while on the cross, he took his own breastplate off to take on his enemies, his foes, the devil and his demons, but he also took on our sins, our unrighteousness. He took them on himself and he took on God's punishment for our sins. And wondrously in doing so, he placed his own breastplate of his righteousness onto us. He took his breastplate off to take on our sins and gave his righteousness to us. Before the shepherds could ever see their salvation breastplate of righteousness, the Lord had to see their unrighteousness and do something about it. The Lord had to see their hearts and do something about it. Guess what? We're just like the shepherds, folks. The beggars, the vagrants, the homeless, we're just like the dregs. We're no one. We're the no one that God was seeing and so the same thing we say about the shepherds, we say about ourselves. Before we could ever see a salvation breastplate of righteousness, the Lord had to see our unrighteousness and do something about it. The Lord had to see our hearts and do something about it. And he did at the cross, this baby Jesus, who is our Lord. Our temptation is to think that, well, of course, the shepherds, the shepherds needed righteousness. They were the dregs of society. But then you realize we are no different than they. There is no one righteous, not even one. Isaiah 59, 16 tells us as well as Romans 3, 10. There was no one righteous. It turns out God sees it, that no one anywhere is wearing a breastplate of righteousness. And then we realize just how similar we are to the shepherds, to the dregs of society. We're just as in need as they are. What happens next in Luke 2 after the shepherds have been seen by that little baby and after they see the baby? Well, first, Luke 2 tells us we see them sharing Everything they've been told about this child, they're spreading the word, sharing it with others, and all who heard it were amazed. They're sharing the good news, and they're singing about it too. They're glorifying and praising God. They don't realize it, and Luke doesn't say it like this, but they are wearing a brand new breastplate of righteousness, so they are sharing that news with others, and they're singing about it too. Isaiah 59, same thing, different order, same thing. Verse 19, the people are fearing the name of the Lord, revering his glory. They're praising and glorifying just like the shepherds, singing the praises of the Redeemer, and then sharing about it, the last verses, with children and grandchildren and all who will listen because God's word is in their mouths and on their lips. Isaiah 59 and the shepherd story of Luke 2 tell the same story for us how it comes to pass. That people, shepherds, Israel, how it comes to pass that they are outfitted with the breastplate of righteousness. And you know what, friends? It's also the story of each Christian life here. Shepherd's story in these dozen or so verses is really the story of a person like you, like me, being saved by Jesus. It starts out, we're shaking, scared. We're skeptically scared, cynically scared even. Can't imagine a baby named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago could possibly take up residence in our hearts. Why would we need him to? And anyway, how can a little baby get past our own defenses, our breastplates of skepticism and cynicism and humanism and materialism and secularism, our feelings of invincibility, and selfishness, and pride, and sinfulness, and me-first attitude, all those things and more that we hold in our hearts like breastplates guarding us, and we audaciously imagine that they're guarding us against our weaknesses, our own finiteness, Our own human frailty, our own guilt, our own unworthiness, our own unrighteousness, our own sin, and so on. We're shaking, scared, skeptically, cynically. How could a baby named Jesus be relevant today for us? How could a baby named Jesus be important today for us? How could a baby named Jesus be someone we need at all as we live our I've got everything under control lives? As we live our, I don't need someone who lived 2,000 years ago telling me how I ought to be living today lives. As we live our, I'm doing just fine without him lives. As we live our, I'll have fun while it lasts lives. As we live our, when my time on this earth is done, I'll die and that'll be it lives. Don't need a baby named Jesus messing up the life I have all planned out for myself. Lo and behold... With all those unrighteous breastplates cinched on nice and tight, a day comes and I realize a baby named Jesus has cut through them all like they were butter and has taken up residence in my heart, in the vitalest of all vital organs. He's gotten through, and I can hardly believe in my scared-to-be-no-longer-in-control life. This baby named Jesus has got me searching for him. This baby named Jesus has got me seeing him, in fact. I see him. I see who he is. I see what he's done for me. I see all the other breastplates, all those other defenses in my heart have dropped off of me. And in their place, I see that baby Jesus, now he is guarding whatever is vital to me, especially my heart. He put himself his salvation righteousness over my heart like a breastplate to guard my heart, to protect me from the devil's schemes, to protect me from God's wrath against my sin, to protect me from final judgment, to protect me from eternal punishment, to protect me as his precious new creation who will live forever in the new heavens and a new earth in heaven. I see what he's done for me because he saw me first as he took off his own breastplate of righteousness while hanging on the cross, paying for my sin, and gave it to me and put it on me, a breastplate of righteousness straight from him. It doesn't stop there, does it? Your and my stories, like the shepherd's story, must go on, must. Our Lord God, through his Holy Spirit, prompts us to be sharing what has happened what Jesus has done for us, perhaps that means for some of us, it's time to profess our faith, to stand before the congregation, tell what we believe, share it, but then don't stop there. As hard and scary as it can be, we begin sharing that story with others. And of course, all the while, We fear him and revere him in our lives. Just like the shepherds, we return to our day-to-day activities, glorifying and praising God for all the things we have heard and seen, singing praises to God. Whether out of tune or on pitch, we go from this place, sharing the good news we now have, and singing our worship to our Savior. That is us, beloved. Each wearing a breastplate of righteousness that is not our own. It came from Jesus, that baby, our Savior, imputed to us forevermore. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, how incredible it is that you tell us in your word in so many different ways that we have been saved by Jesus Christ And his righteousness, not our own. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of the breastplate of righteousness that you have imputed to us in Jesus Christ. And thank you that in the shepherd's story, we see that breastplate shining beautifully. And we see in the middle of it all that you saw us before we ever saw you you saw us, thank you for seeing us, for filling us with righteousness of Jesus and then filling us with praise and glorifying of you and filling us with the joy of being new creatures, new people because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.